As we prepare ourselves to hear God's word, let's pray together this prayer of illumination. Draw us close, Holy Spirit, as the scriptures are read and the word is proclaimed. Let the word of faith be on our lips and in our hearts, and let all other words slip away. May there be one voice we hear today, the voice of truth and grace. Amen. Now let's hear the reading of God's word from John 16, verse 16 through 33. A little while, and you will see me no longer, and again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father... So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's go before God again in prayer. Father, as we prepare our hearts and our minds to attend to your word, to learn about joy, what it means to have joy that is rooted in Jesus, help us. These are difficult topics. These are thoughts about you and your workings in the world that are 
too high often for us to understand, especially when it comes to suffering and joy. God, I do pray that in this moment, you would strengthen us, you would reveal your truth to us, that we might truly understand um, your goodness and your love, even in the midst of tribulation, and to know that you have overcome the world. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm Welcome to King's Church. I'm David. I'm the director of community life here at King's Church. And today, we're going to be wrapping up our series on Rooted in Jesus. And kind of the focus of our time together here today is joy. So what comes to mind when you hear the word joy? Perhaps it's getting attacked by this vicious pack of puppies, (laughs) right? Some people, that brings them a lot of joy. Me too. Um, Or you might think of the character Joy from Pixar's Inside Out. Have any of you seen that movie? Yeah, all right, good movie. And in the movie, there's a young girl named Riley, and in her head are these five emotions. You can see them up there. There's Joy, she's in the center. There's Sadness, who is blue, fittingly. Anger, who is red, fittingly. Fear, who is purple. And Disgust, who is green. And at various times in Riley's life, these emotions take control of that console you see up there, and Riley, and they influence her actions, and they color, literally, her memories. Her, her memories are these orbs of these scenes that replay over and over again, and, you know, depending on which emotion is in control at that time, the orb that comes out is colored according to their colors. You know, Joy's memories are yellow, Sadness's memories are blue, etc. But what's interesting is how deeply reactive these emotions are to our circumstances. Depending on the circumstance, one takes control over the other. Pixar actually released short clips online introducing each emotion before the movie was released and had this to say about joy. When everything in your life is going your way, that's when joy takes control. When everything in your life is going your way, that's when joy takes control. Pixar is basically defining joy as the emotion that arises when life is good. Joy is deeply deeply circumstantial, as the implication is that when life is not going your way, joy is not in control. Joy just takes a back seat. So how are we supposed to feel when life isn't going our way? Because as we find out pretty quick, life rarely goes our way. Are we still supposed to have joy? Our struggle with joy only seems to intensify when we turn to the Bible. We read a verse like Philippians 4.4, which calls us to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And we also read that we are not lacking in resources because we know God, who is the wellspring of all joy. Romans 15, 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. God certainly is able to fill us with joy. But yet, I struggle 
with having, feeling, experiencing joy. And I'm certain that some of you, perhaps many of you, do too. We might hear a quote from Augustine, uh, a bishop from the 4th century, who said, A Christian should be an alleluia from head to foot and think, that is completely unlike my experience. In our series, Rooted in Jesus, we've been exploring who Jesus is and what he has done in order to be more deeply rooted in him, to build our lives on Jesus, as we often find ourselves building our lives on something else. And hopefully, we've seen that building our lives on Jesus, rooting our lives into Jesus, is the best thing to do because Jesus himself is our greatest good. But also, as we seek him, come all the things that we long for in this life, comfort, security, love, peace, and joy. Joy, especially in light of suffering, is a very difficult and multifaceted topic, and one sermon alone would not be able to do it justice. But I believe that today's passage, John 16, 16 through 33, can at least highlight a facet of this jewel and root our joy more deeply in Jesus. So as we enter into this passage, let's remember this scene. This is the eve of Jesus' death. Before the night is over, Jesus will be betrayed, arrested, and tried. And by 3 o'clock the next day, 3 p.m. the next day, he will be dead. These are Jesus' final words before his darkest hour and his disciples' darkest hour. And as we read the first verses of this passage, the disciples still don't seem to get the idea that Jesus is going to die and rise again, even though he has repeatedly told this to them over and over again. In verse 16, which brings me to my first point, an obstacle to joy, our expectations of the Messiah. An obstacle to joy, our expectations of the Messiah. Now, in verse 16, Jesus tells his disciples, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. For many of us, these words are not too confusing because we know what happens next. In a little while, Jesus will die on the cross, which means the disciples will see him no longer. And in a little while, a couple of days later, he'll be raised again in resurrection, what we're celebrating next Sunday, and the disciples will see him again. But as we see in the next couple of verses, there was a lot of consternation and murmuring among the disciples. Verse 17, so some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. And what seems to cause them the most trouble was the idea of a little while. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. They, you can clearly tell their confusion because they repeat it over and over again, right? It's, it's kind of surprising that that's in Scripture. <laughs> and it can be easy to dismiss the disciples and their confusion. Oh, those disciples, they just don't get it, right? That's what we hear sometimes. Um, we think that they're just hard-headed or not too bright. But I think it goes much deeper than that. You see, the disciples at this point had already recognized that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Even back in John 6, after Jesus declared, I am the bread of life, 
Verse 66 says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, verse 67, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So they had this understanding that he was the Messiah. And though they recognized him as Messiah, they had expectations for the Messiah. The general expectation was that the Messiah would come as a conqueror. He would overthrow Israel's enemies and oppressors, which at that time was the Roman Empire. And he would establish a lasting kingdom of power and peace on the earth. And to be fair, that's a pretty normal expectation of a revolutionary leader, one who claims to be the promised king. And today is Palm Sunday, and they would have seen him riding in and all these people shouting out to him and cheering him, and they would have thought, this is it. This is the Messiah. He's come. He's going to establish his kingdom now. So whenever Jesus would tell them that he, would, he was going to suffer and die, they couldn't grasp his message. Matthew 16, 21 through 22 is a great example of their continual misunderstanding. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chiefs, priests, and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Their expectation was of a victorious Messiah, a conquering king, not a suffering and dying Messiah. So their inability to understand Jesus' message had nothing to do with education or background or profession, but had everything to do with expectation. Instead of being overjoyed that Jesus would leave and come again, that he would die and rise again, they were troubled. Why would the Messiah leave if he was going to establish his kingdom? Their expectation of Jesus made them deaf to his words. Now let me ask you, what do you expect of Jesus today? What type of savior do you expect him to be? As we think about why we might be lacking joy in our life, one major obstacle to our joy is that we expected our lives to be different. We expected that knowing Jesus, believing in him, would not bring us to where we are today. We expected to be married and not single. We expected to be loved by our spouse, not misunderstood or hurt. To be flourishing in our careers, not stagnating. To be healthy and vibrant, not diminished and in pain. To see our loved ones come to know Jesus, not wandering farther away from him. We expected to be more holy and gracious and kind and not more selfish and sinful and struggling. We expected to be thriving and not suffering. Joni Erickson Tata said this in an interview in 2012. As a 14-year-old, I had embraced Jesus as my Savior, but had confused the abundant Christian life with the great American dream. I was a Christian and would lose weight, get good grades, 
get voted captain of the hockey team, go to college, marry a wonderful man who made 250000 a year, and we'd have 2.5 children. But when Joni was 17, she dove into deceptively shallow water in the Chesapeake Bay, broke her neck, and became paralyzed from her shoulders down. Her life was utterly and irrevocably changed. A teenage girl on the cusp of adulthood, in the flower of youth, the world was her oyster, and yet now she would be confined to a wheelchair for the rest of her life. And in the days and years that followed, she cried out as we cry out in our own circumstances. What kind of Messiah are you? Why haven't you made things right? Where is your justice? Where is your love? You are the God of the universe and you call us to joy, but why haven't you done the things I need for my joy? Friends, King's Church, Jesus today wants to reshape, reform, refine your understanding of him as Savior, his ways, his path, and what it means to have joy. Will you hear him? Will you trust him? Will you walk his path? That brings me to my next point. The path to joy. Suffering like our Savior. The path to joy. Suffering like our Savior. Jesus begins to explain to his confused disciples in verses 20 and 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Jesus' message to his disciples is this. I'm not the Messiah you expect me to be. In order to establish my kingdom, there's going to be sorrow. You who follow me will weep and lament, and those who oppose me will rejoice at my death. But let me tell you, that won't be forever. Like a woman giving birth, there will be intense pain and anguish, feeling as if all is lost, but that will pass, and there will be most indescribable joy. Jesus didn't take the path his disciples expected and wanted him to take, one where he would overthrow their Roman oppressors and one that led directly to glory, but instead he took the path of suffering and the cross. But he did this because there were greater oppressors than the Romans to defeat. He had to wage war against sin and death, sin which created this unfathomable breach this yawning gulf between us and God, condemning us all to death, not just physical death, but an eternal death of separation from God in hell. And so, to the surprise of all, the second person of the one God, the Son, came and took on a human body and soul. And in order to defeat sin and death, to free us from condemnation and make a way for God's people to find life, once again, it was his life for ours. He suffered and died on that cross in your place. For Jesus, the path to true and lasting victory was not the path of glory. Instead, the path to joy, both his and ours, 
was the path of the cross. Hebrews 12.2 tells us that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. And he endured the cross so that he could say to us in verse 22 of John 16, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Suffering and sorrow was absolutely essential on Jesus' path to joy. And it's the same for us, as much as we don't like to hear that. Because suffering is the hardship we don't expect. That's why we struggle with it so much. Many of us have been taught over and over that the Christian life involves suffering, but when suffering does come upon us, it is often different from the suffering we expected, the suffering we would have been okay with. I know I've brought this up before, but I just think about my senior year, the summer before my senior year in 2003. I expected the suffering of leaving my friends, of not, you know, having to part ways and being apart from them, going to college, perhaps um, feeling those awkward few months of trying to figure out my place in life and where I was supposed to be. But I didn't expect to hear that my mom was diagnosed with late-stage cancer, right? That's not, and that was difficult because it wasn't the hardship that I expected. You see, because even in our suffering, we want to control what we face. I wanted to control what I faced. We would design our path of suffering if we could. But when we look at Jesus' path of the cross, we see something else. What do we see? We see a mystery that makes no sense in the journey, a mystery that defies expectations. Jesus' path defied all human logic. How could death result in victory? How could suffering lead to joy? How could a bloody, bruised, and broken man, gasping his last breath, lead to the salvation of thousands upon thousands, a multitude from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Take heart today at the mystery you face in your sufferings. The seeming obstacles to the good life you imagine for yourself maps itself onto the mystery of the cross. The way up is down, and power and victory come from weakness and death. The thorn in your side, the weakness you carry and endure is working that you might believe the whisper of God. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. We also see the sovereignty and love of God reigning over all. Every step that Jesus took down toward his death, his mocking, his torture, his crown of thorns, the nails in his hands and feet, They happen completely under the power, authority, and control of God. In Peter's sermon in Acts 2, verse 23, he says this, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So we see there that people were responsible for the death of Christ, but it absolutely did not happen outside of God's control. 
The cross was a tragedy, but it had purpose and design, and that design was love. Hear the words of Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. We see that this plan was from before the foundation of the world to rescue sinners like you and me. This plan was motivated by love. So if Jesus, God's beloved son, walked the path of the cross completely under God's sovereignty and love to secure for us an everlasting love and joy, we can say in our own paths of afflictions and difficulties that God is still in control. He still reigns upon his throne, and every thought and intention towards us is love. We can be absolutely assured of his love in all his designs because the cross testifies that God would give up his son out of love for us. The cross testifies that God's heart can never again be filled with wrath against our sin. He will never punish us, only discipline us in kindness. We are not his enemies, but his children. And when we take hold of these truths and cling to them, our hearts can begin to turn to joy. Joni, in an article just last year, the same Joni, Johnny I talked about earlier, was reflecting on 50 years since her diving accident. She has lived 50 years as a quadriplegic. And she shared this. Back in the 70s, my Bible study friend, Steve Estes, shared 10 little words that set the course for my life. God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Steve explained it this way, Johnny, God allows all sorts of things he doesn't approve of. God hated the torture, injustice, and treason that led to the crucifixion, yet he permitted it so the world's worst murder could become the world's only salvation. In the same way, God hates spinal cord injury, yet he permitted it for the sake of Christ in you as well as in others. Like Joseph, when he told his brothers, God intended my suffering for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And Johnny's life is a testament to that. She's established a ministry to minister to those with disabilities. She's written books and spoken at countless conferences. She's just an example of Christian Love, hope, and joy in the face of suffering. It's a powerful witness. I just, love, I just love that summary. God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. It's just, it just ties together that absolute rock-solid sovereignty of God with his overflowing love. And finally, when we look at Jesus' path of the cross, There's one last thing we see. We see resurrection, the joy on the other side. We know the ending to Jesus' story. 
which is the ending to our story as well. And it does not end in sadness. It ends in victory, in triumph, in life, in joy. Jesus has triumphed over all our enemies. That's why he can say in our passage in verse 22 again, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. You see, our joy should be based in circumstances, but not the circumstances of this earth that ebb and flow, but the circumstances of Jesus, who has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, who has crushed the head of the sermon, who declared to a weeping family, I am the resurrection and the life. And on that third day, he did rise again as the resurrection and the life, making those words absolutely true and trustworthy proving to all the world there is life, abundant life, indestructible life in Jesus Christ. No matter what you go through in life, if you know Jesus, if you've trusted in him, this circumstance will never, ever, ever change. Whether you're being speared by Indians in a remote river in Ecuador, or you're the new widow who hears the news of her, of her husband who's died, whether you're Johnny who's been a quadriplegic for 50 years, or... 17-year-old Tommy that she was writing to who had just broke his neck body surfing off the beach in Jersey Shore and facing a lifetime of difficulty ahead, there is joy to be found even in suffering, pain, and death because Jesus has overcome the world. And that day is coming when wrongs will be made right and pain and suffering will be no more. When we know the ending, when we know that our body and soul cannot be defeated, that our joy cannot be stolen away, diminished, tarnished, touched in any way because Jesus reigns, because we know the victor, the king, and his banner over us is love, we can say with Paul, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. And for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look to things that are seen, as we look not to the things that are seen but to to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And we can say with Peter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this You rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. My desire, but more so God's desire, is for all of us to put down deep roots in Jesus. 
I think of us as my desire, and I know God's desire, is this, I have this, this picture, this vision of us as majestic oak trees, gnarled, knotted, grizzled by the storms of life, but strong, gloriously strong, bearing fruit in its season. People who walk paths of suffering, but who know peace and unshakable joy because their lives are hidden with Christ. And their circumstances is profoundly bound up in Jesus, who has overcome the world. Let's pray together. Father God, we confess that to understand your ways, to understand the sufferings that come upon us, and I know in this room there are many who have suffered so deeply so continually, who feel your heavy hand pressing upon them, who just are crying out to you, why are you doing this? God, I pray, especially for them, that they would be strengthened today to know that they have a joy that no one can take away from them. They have a joy that is, comes from them being united with Jesus, who is in heaven, even now, at your right hand, interceding for us, who reigns in power and glory. And I pray that they would be comforted knowing that you have overcome the world, that this is not the end, that there is a morning, there is victory, there is a new day awaiting them. Dear God, we pray that you would apply these truths to our heart, that in every circumstance we can rejoice because we have a greater circumstance, and that is knowing you, that is being in your arms, that is being loved by you. And so we pray all this in your son's name. Amen.